0: This podcast is all about exploring different journeys to reinvention so that you can learn the strategies for how to successfully launch your next reinvention. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the School of Reinvention podcast. I am your host, Roger Osorio. I am a reinvention coach and author of the book, The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion and Purpose. I'm incredibly excited for today's episode. I am joined by Jen Fox, who is a seasoned HR and business professional with over 25 years of leadership experience. Her entrepreneurial background and career growth in a real-time learning environment have shaped her ability to build inclusive, high-performing teams and support others in doing the same. Endorsed as one of the most no-nonsense L&D professionals on the planet, she brings a mix of vulnerability and pragmatic solutions to her work and relationships. Having assumed leadership roles at renowned companies like Nordstrom, Starbucks, Getty Images, and Just Works, Jen has recently returned to her entrepreneurial roots, reigniting her independent coaching, consulting, and public speaking business. When she's not speaking about the myths and challenges of working motherhood on LinkedIn, she can be found walking, listening to podcasts, and spending time with her friends and family in Princeton, New Jersey. And that's actually it's through some of those podcasts that we connected Jen, you put out a call for podcast suggestions to your friends and network, and I was fortunate enough to have been tagged in that post in one of the comments, and you reached out to me and we connected around my podcast. You listened to a few episodes, and then I realized looking at your profile, I got to have you on the show. Thank you so much for making time to talk to us about your journey to reinvention.
1: Thanks, Roger. Yeah, I think our meeting is perfect for the topic at hand because I'm not only in the middle of another reinvention. At that time, I was actually reinventing you know, my podcast library because I was transitioning and I was going on a morning walk and pulled up my normal library. I was like, oh my gosh, what do I listen to? I don't want to hear all this other stuff. I needed something new. So I was thrilled to learn about you in that way and excited for today's conversation.
0: Oh, awesome. Well, I I totally hear you on that. I think like what we listen to is a reflection of what we need at that time, or at least it should be. You know, (laughs) I think that there could be a problem if you just keep listening to the same things, even if you need something else. And I could see how that can happen, too. But yeah, I do the same thing when I, in different moments or different seasons of my life, I find myself needing different voices that reflect that season and can help me out. So I'm glad that I am the voice of the current season (laughs) and I'm excited that I get to have your voice on the show. So you'll be able to hear yourself as well. That'll be nice as you're listening to your own episode. Let's get into it. Let's do it. So let's start off with your overall journey to reinvention story. You know, you've done different things, but there's some highlight moments that we want that we talked about in our prep call. Tell us a little bit about just your overall story and kind of some of those highlight moments.
1: Yeah, so when I think back, I guess I'll start my story at about the age of nineteen. Uh, prior to that, I had been working retail, as a lot of us do to kind of get through school. And I was working, I was managing a store in Calgary, Canada. And my mom and I decided to go for a drive one day out to the Rocky Mountains. If you've ever been there, you'll understand they are very awe-inspiring. And for whatever reason, maybe it was the fresh air, I don't know. We started talking about the company I was working for and came up with an idea. We said, you know, the town that she grew up in, about three hours away, they could really use a place like that. I don't really know what happened after that. All of a sudden we were enrolling in courses together around starting a business from scratch and marketing 101. I moved to the other town. My dad is helping do all the construction and you know we opened a, our own retail store. I had no idea what I was doing. Luckily, uh, she's an accountant and so she was able to actually manage uh, you know the business side, but I learned all about, you know, inventory management and, you know, buying. And obviously I had some customer service experience, hiring my own staff. So she later, looking back at that chapter, uh, went on to say uh, it was kind of like my real world MBA. And we'll come back to that part of my story, I know, a little bit later in this conversation. So we ran that store for about four years and decided to close it. And then I found myself a couple years later in Seattle, working for a couple really great brands. I worked for Nordstrom. I worked at the Starbucks corporate office and became a coffee addict to this day. And then I got a call one day from a prior manager and he said, I've got a great job for you. And he told me about it. And I said, that sounds amazing. I had set a goal for myself that I had wanted to be a director in a public company by the time I was 30. So this is sort of important because when the call came, it was a director position And he told me all about it. I said, that sounds amazing. And he said, it's in New York City. And I said the words, which are now infamous, you couldn't pay me to live in New York City. And I meant it. I had been there a couple of times. My husband was from the East Coast, but I really had no desire whatsoever. I'm a small town Canada girl. Fast forward and this, again, you'll start to see some repetition with my story. Two and a half weeks later, you know, I'm I'm in New York. I made the leap people always say, oh, if you can live in New York for a year, you can do anything, right? So I said that. I said, well, just go for a year. We, you know, we had a house. We weren't even going to sell the house in Seattle. And yes, it's been 16 and three kids and I'm still in the New York metro area. So, you know, how life goes.
0: (laughs) Wow. 16 years later, three kids later, and you're still there. I love it. I love it. I mean, I can totally appreciate that. I think that's something about the journey to reinvention that's really important. You really cannot predict what is going to I mean, in, in any journey, you can't predict what's going to happen. But in this one, you absolutely cannot. You may have intentions, oh, I'm going to spend a year or two there. I mean, I had a similar experience with St. Louis, Missouri. I went there for a job assignment that was supposed to be a year. Then that turned into a year and a half. Then it turned into I graduated out of this leadership development program. They made me an offer for a job there, and I stayed there another couple of more years. And then I quit that job and I still stayed in St. Louis for like another three. I mean, I think I was there for total seven years and the intention was one year. So I can appreciate that. It's, I I think that's, you know, you and I talked in our prep call about how careers are made and built and how it's really about just the next move. And that's really as far as we can see. And you were only able to see a year later and thinking that's how long you'll need. And I thought the same thing. And well... Once we got to that year, we saw something else. So I appreciate that part of your story.
1: Well, and I think it, you know, people often say, you know, if you could go back and talk to your younger self, you know, what what advice would you say? And it always feels so, you know, patronizing almost to say just trust, right? But, you know, when you're when you're looking ahead, even sometimes even a year ahead seems so far out and you can't, you know, just kind of see the path forward. In hindsight, it all makes sense, right? If you think about now, you know, you and I've spent a lot of time talking about our our children and you think about like, what's gotten you to the point where now, you know, you're enjoying these amazing moments with your daughter at the Jersey shore, like any little decision along the way might have changed the course of that, right? So anyway, that's what I would say, trust that it will all work out even if you can't figure it out right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that you said, you know, it sounds almost patronizing to say that, you know, and all of that, because it's almost like oversimplified. But let's unpack it a little. I mean, because I think you and I have experienced this. And so we're in a position to be able to unpack this really simple idea, but into, you know, what really makes it happen. I know in my experience, when I think about trusting that the path will unfold itself the way it's supposed to, or that it'll work out in the end. For me, it's all about The reason why I believe that is because when I make a decision based on my values, my passions, my purpose, I tend to find that first my best self is unleashed. And when I bring my best self to an opportunity, it's actually exciting that I can't predict what's going to happen. Because if you ask me today, right, August 29th, when we're recording this episode, 2023, what my goal is for the next year or for the next like, you know, six months to a year, whatever I'm telling you now, I have watched in six months, if you ask me that again, I'll have an even better idea. Oh my gosh, forget that goal. That was an old boring one. I don't even know why I said that. I now know something I didn't know. And so I trust that I will find or discover new things that I could not have known unless I started walking that path. And so I always believe and trust that, you know what, I'll see better things once I keep moving. So as long as I'm moving, I'll find something better and I know it will work out really well. And when I look back, I'll say, that was so freaking cool. And I could never have predicted it because if you had asked me way back when yeah, I yeah. didn't know this was possible. How about yeah. for you? Like what makes this something that you really have faith in and you know will always work itself out?
1: Yeah, I think it's funny because I've been really, I've got a piece in the works right now. It's just, it's all over the place, but it keeps, you know, sometimes you hear a message and then it keeps coming back in all these different ways. So there's this piece of confidence that that just keeps coming up. So I'm, I'm just working on an article right now about it. And I think that it's that. So the way you just said that, right? You it's the water you swim in. You can tell, right? This sort of growth mindset, you trust everything will work out, you know you're going to be learning more. And I think that we have that in common. It's the space that I'm in and so we just we trust that. We know, but I sometimes have to remind myself that that's not everyone's default. They may not have that inner confidence. They may not have that growth, you know, the growth mindset and the fixed mindset, right? Like it's not everybody has that piece of it. And so I think this thing around confidence you know, I've said before, I don't remember where I heard it, it's not mine, but you know, that I have a 100% track record of getting through the hard times so far, right? Like, here I am. And everybody has their own story. And so if you can just tap into any little piece of it to find that little bit of, okay, when everything else goes wrong, what has worked out, right? What can I, you know, draw on that that I did in another time? So I think confidence is central to all of it. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more in this conversation about what that looks like sometimes when you don't have it. How do you find the confidence, you know, when you don't actually have it?
0: Absolutely. Well, then let's start getting to that. So as we move into the next topic, you know, one of the things that we talked about were, you know, some of your experiences as you became a consultant and you started doing different things. And there was this really great story about you working with a CEO and just this level of imposter syndrome that you faced, uh, wondering, what the heck am I doing here? A mother of three kids guiding or advising a CEO here. What, what's this makes no sense. Tell us about that experience. And you know, you've know you learned a lot of lessons from that one experience. Yeah. Unpack it for us.
1: I think that's the thing. So, you know, spoiler alert, my overall advice is fake it till you make it. And that sounds, you know, trite. But it's when I look back at the common thread from that you know, opening my store to moving across the country to sitting down, you know, in that consulting position, there was certainly an aspect of me that it it was. And sometimes a fake it till you make it. It's that outer confidence that, out, you know, that I'm portraying myself that I can do this, even if the inner part of me is like, holy crap, what am I doing here, right? And so being able to, you know, sort of override that, that default, that voice inside of our head that tries to keep us small. So, you know, I had three kids, you know, under at that time, I guess they would have been five, three, and one. And, you know, I just decided I'd been doing a little bit of freelancing and I saw a cool post for a job, a consulting job that was one day a week to come in and help their employees be their best self. It's like that's first of all amazing that a company's doing that and you know I can do that and so that's really what I did and so be, to be able to you know sit down you know with the CEO and the employees and stuff but I remember that first time when he was asking me sort of like you know my opinion about stuff and that voice inside of me is like why why are you asking me like you're you know you're the guy right you're the guy with with the title and I I learned a lot through that because what I realized is that I undervalued my sort of life experience and everything I had up to that, you know, to that point. Throw in parenting there. I think it's honestly the best training you can have for anything to do in business but by undervaluing that you know so often we look at sort of the linear path and the the credentials or the resume and all of those type of external things and certainly those are important but i really had to learn when i started consulting that you know people are not coming to me to pay me for an hour of my time they're paying me for the 25 years of experience that i have that i package up into an hour of time and that was a really profound mindset shift you know for me to be able to start to you know so i i think i I can almost feel it. I can almost started to sit up a little taller, being able to start to challenge things a little bit. And, you know, so I would be lying to you if I said that that was handled, that that was gone and that I'm just this confident person that 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 would be a complete lie. I would say every time I go to do anything with someone who is someone maybe I don't know, someone who I perceive as having more positional power or anything like that, that same conversation comes up, those same inner feelings come up I'm just gotten a lot better at sort of keeping them at bay and reminding myself of, you know, all of those things that I do bring to the table, even if they're a little bit um, less conventional, maybe.
0: You know, something I try to remind myself of in those moments, because I totally hear you, like how it's easy for that voice to get the better of us. And all of a sudden it occupies our mind space. And we're like, oh, I don't know if I could really add value here. But I try to remind myself, like, you know, everyone, uh, that CEO still goes to a doctor, right? I go to a doctor. I think to myself, okay, I'm a coach and I have my coaching business, my speaking business, but I still go to somebody to help me with my website, somebody to help me with writing articles, someone to help me with producing this podcast, because these are things that I don't have as much experience in. And this for me is like my small way of like reminding myself that every insert, whatever the title is, needs someone else that has a different set of experiences. And I love what you said about well, you bring parenting experiences, you bring retail experience, you and your mother launched that retail business, navigating everything needed to keep it going for at least the four years that you were there as part of it. And then your corporate career and all the different things that you got to do that maybe this CEO did not yeah. get to do in you know his or her career. And now you get to bring that to the table. And I try to remind myself, but, but I hear you like to say that, oh, I can now walk into any situation. No, I still have to use that prompt to undo what is about to naturally happen, which is I'm going to try to shut myself down and tell myself that no, this is not a place where I can add value. And I got to remind myself, I bring something different to this, you know, particular uh, field or this particular game, if you will.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I love what you said about confidence, you know, fake it till you make it. You know, I want to talk about that a little bit, because that's some of that advice that we hear a lot, right? Oh, fake it but what does that really mean? Does it mean you know defraud investors and right. tell them that I <laughs> I have a, I have a, this technology that really works, and even though it has, we're nowhere near bringing it to market, or it, it doesn't work at all, or it doesn't exist. So I think it's one of those things that again, it, what do we really mean by that? And I love what you said about it means showing up with a level of confidence. And I think to connect it back to something else you said about the growth mindset is then having the confidence in yourself that you will figure it out. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key is that we will figure it out. You said, you know, when you get thrown into that moment and you're like, "Oh shit, mm-hmm. I what am I doing here?" you know, but you're here and if you can figure stuff out because you've obviously figured stuff out to get to the point where you are, like you said earlier, well then you can figure this one out too. Yep. You know, it doesn't mean you're going to figure it out at the highest level and you're going to get a gold medal for your performance today. But hey, you're still in the arena and you get to do something. You get to play. And so go figure it out. Find a way to add value, contribute, do whatever. And chances are you'll get the next chance to step into that arena again and play again. And hopefully this time a little bit better than the last time you performed. I mean, that's how I try to see these moments when I'm put into a moment. And sometimes I like to force myself into a moment, like sign up for something that I didn't think I was ready for Mm. just so that I can because I know once I'm there, I will be a very different me. Yeah. The before I'm there me is scared to death of this thing. No, maybe I'm busy. You know, like last week was really tough. Maybe I need some extra time to rest before I go. Maybe I'll cancel. I'll do it again later. Or just sign up for that race or that thing or whatever that thing is that, you know, might scare us a little bit and just show up and then see what happens to your point. Fake it at least to the point where I could show up.
1: Where you do it right, well, and I—it's—it's it's funny to me because I have the exact same process all the time when I'm, you know, say preparing to, you know, facilitate a course or do a, a, a talk or anything like that. I'm confident out of the gate, no problem. I really, you know, sort of lead with my t- intuition. Again, a lot of this stuff is sort of stored in muscle memory now, right? About the things that I that I talk about. So I think everything's going to be okay. And then the night before, it's like panic stricken what the hell am I doing? I didn't prepare. The wheels are going to come off. I mean, a hundred percent of the time. And then I do the same thing every single time. So I'm helping to normalize for any of the people out there who are sort of like on that sort of like stage thing. This is the behind the scenes. Look, this is what I do. And then the morning of, I get up, practice just the opening, and then that's it. And I trust it because I know, like you said, like if I can put myself in that position, I have that belief and I can have that confidence. But yes, it's overriding all those other things that would, you know, have you say no in the first place. Certainly fake it till you make it is not being inaccurate. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, my path, uh, uh, my alternate path, not going to higher education, no one ever asked me about that. So when I say fake it until I make it, it's not like I ever portrayed myself as something that I wasn't. I portrayed myself as who I was and that's what people would seek me out for. And so I think the disconnect sometimes is we have to be really open and perceptive to like, what are people coming to me for, right? What do they see in me that maybe I don't even see in myself, right? Because we can undervalue those things a lot. And so when we can do that, it's like, oh, okay, I may not see myself as someone who could do that. But if you do, okay, well, then I'm willing to sort of step into that. So that, that's sort of what I mean in terms of, you know, fake it till you make it is just like step into those places, as you said, put yourself there and try to tap into what other people naturally see in you because we often just don't see it for ourselves.
0: That is an excellent point. I mean, I get this a lot from dear friends or my wife. You know, because these are people who are close enough to see these things in us that to your point, we may not always see or believe or even realize as we're going through, you know, our days or whatever it might be. And those are, I think those are perfect examples of the kinds of things. You know what? Yes, there's a little bit of faking it in terms of like, I didn't even consider doing that, but I'm going to step into that because it seems that I have displayed enough of the requisite skills to do all right in this. So let's see what's up. Let's see what happens when I step into that. The other thing that I think comes out of this conversation too, going back a little bit further is around, again, bringing back confidence is, you know, that morning you may not feel so confident. So you may have to fake the confidence for a little while, just so that you can step into the arena. And to your point, you have your your, your method for doing that. You practice your opening. Your opening gets you just to that point where you're like, yep. okay, I just, I just tricked myself into feeling confident enough to walk in, step on stage and do what I got to do. Once I get up there, I know it always works itself out because it does. And I've been there, done that. And for most of us, we, we've been there, done that in some other way. Maybe not the exact way. Maybe you haven't delivered that speech yet or you haven't consulted that CEO yet. But chances are there is something there that you have done where you stepped into it. And luckily you did. And you figured it out. For me, building confidence comes from also looking back. And saying, where have I already done this before? And and why am yeah. I not giving myself credit for that?
1: Yeah, totally. Well, and then I think also the confidence in knowing that whatever comes up, you can roll with. I think one of the things that, you know, that I, I would say I'm probably most proud of now as sort of a, I don't know, characteristic or personality trait is my authenticity. It's, I will be happy to tell you when I am mess something up or when I don't know something And so, you know, maybe I practice my opening and I get up there and then I completely miss something else. But it's like in the moment, if I'm being myself and I'm present there, then trusting that I'll roll with whatever happens, (laughs) tech issues like I've had this morning, you know, or forgetting a part of a course, whatever it is, right? So I think that ability also to sort of flex and trust yourself in the moment and also be real. No one likes to see, okay, the TEDx stage is fine, right? I'll be on it one day, mark my words, but that's like the, you know, the polished, perfected, you know, everything's, you know, perfect. That's not really, that's not me, first of all. And I don't think that that's what people really resonate with, right? When you can see someone, whether someone's coaching you or, or whatever it is that you're interacting with people, there's nothing that draws you more to people when they're being real, when they're struggling, and you can be there for them, and you can have a laugh together or whatever. So I think that's also really important in the in the journey to confidence. Confidence doesn't mean, perfection, yeah. right? Fake it till you make it doesn't mean fake it and be perfect. It can mm-hmm. be be real and be be authentic about where you're sort of at on the journey and especially acknowledging where you, where you have to learn, mm-hmm. right? Cuz we're all we're all learning.
0: I love that. I wanted to talk about something you and I spoke about in our prep call and it was and I think this is a good segue into the last topic, the non-traditional path. You know, we talked a little bit about that. I think we talked a little bit about this idea of the Dark Horse Project. And I I told you a little bit about this. I'm not sure if you had heard about it, but essentially it's this project that uh, seeks to interview people who have achieved certain levels of success and unpack that success. And ultimately, like, you know, the the quick version of it is that the research has found that most people who have achieved this level of success did not follow a straight line path. It looks like a straight line when you zoom out. But when you zoom in, it's like all these zigs and zags that don't look like they make any sense. But when you ask someone, tell me about that zig or that zag, what were you thinking? They most often say, I was just thinking about the next move. I didn't think about five moves away or 10 moves away. I was thinking about what felt right in that time. And, you know, and I and I trusted that. And I and I went with that. And for me, this is a big idea when it comes to the journey to reinvention. Because this as I interview more and more people, I find that. They're usually making a decision based on what is in front of them, not 10 steps ahead. They're thinking about what's right here. And you know what? This feels right for whatever reason. I didn't even imagine this opportunity coming, much like to some extent that call comes in for that director job. You did have an idea that you wanted this, but you didn't know when that call was going to come up. So you had to roll with that. Then a year passes after you promised (laughs) no more than one year. And here you are making another decision that felt right in that moment. And look, that decision turned into 16 years in the New York City area. And now you're you're uh, raising a beautiful family. So it's that next move. And so I guess I just wanted to get your take on that, obviously, just how you would help maybe somebody feel more confident in trusting in that.
1: Yeah, and like I said, it's so hard because when you look back, you just it all makes sense. But when you're looking ahead, you know LinkedIn refers to it as you know your next play, right? When people are doing that, and I use that concept a lot, sort of in in coaching other people. Here's also sort of how I look at it. I use this sort of uh, structure. So if I'm supporting someone and trying to figure out what's next for them the sort of construct I created is I make it into a game. I said let's just play a game. Like in this chapter, whatever, say it's a year, say it's 3. I don't know people that do this 5 10 year planning. You you like you do you but that has never worked for me. I can't can't even think that far ahead. Say a year or two on the horizon. And I have them really look at and get honest with themselves. what's the game you're playing right now? And I'll and I'll share my own story, right? So certainly in my 20s it was, you know, all about, you know, you know, making money, right? That's all anybody ever like wants to do. Then getting to that 30, right? The big age of 30 was like, it was the title. That was what was important to me. Then when I had a family, it was really about flexibility, right? And that's why, you know, sort of took a you know big sort of turn away from uh, corporate. And then now I would say sort of I'm in the chapter where it's really about sort of certainly flexibility as well as as meaning and impact. So if I look back at that, if I'm not honest about the sort of the game I'm playing right now, I don't have a hope in hell of winning at it. And what I find is a lot of younger sort of early career professionals, I would say especially women in my experience, have a hard time with you know, really owning if they are saying, I'm playing the game like I want a title or I want a certain paycheck. They have a really hard time actually verbalizing and kind of putting that stake in the ground. And I think it's the most important thing that you can do. So it doesn't mean it's your forever game, but if it's your game for right now, because then you can, you know, kind of go after it because if you tried it, so then, then your next zag, right? If that, if I hadn't said I wanted that title by this time, that call could have came in and what would have overridden that? The New York part of it, but it had the title piece. And so I was like, oh, but that's what I really wanted. So could I flex on some of these other sort of criteria, like where I'm living, you know, to go after that other thing? And so I, it's, I think it's really important and, and it's not, it's not like setting a goal for me, it's different. It's tapping into that, like inner part of like, what's actually important to you right now and owning it with nothing on it, not caring what anybody else would think about it. If you have a number in mind that you want on your paycheck, say it because then when you start to look at other opportunities or that call comes in, then you weigh it against you weigh it against that. And then to your point and all of the work that you're doing, then you reinvent it a year or two down the road, right? I always say, okay, new data. Now what? Here we are now. Like you said, six months down the road, twelve months, two years, and so always being able to do that. So I think if I were to advise people on how to how to navigate those zigs and zags, it would be that create a game out of it and figure out what's what's winning for you right now, and then just be honest about it, and then uh, you know, and then keep all your options open. It's shocking what the world delivers when you get clear on what it is that you want. <laughs>
0: I, I, I love this. There are a couple of things I, that I want to unpack uh, in particular. One, first, I love what you said. New data, now what? <laughs> I love that. I, I'm gonna. I think I'm. Take I'm it. officially <laughs> taking that. I'm officially taking that. It's. It, I, it makes so much sense, you know, as we move along. But there's something I think that holds us back from the new data influencing a new goal. I think that we place so much importance and value on not quitting. Not failing, you know, and so if I set a goal December 31st for the new year, I have to make it to the end. Doesn't matter if I'm not even interested in this thing, I have to get there because I committed to this and I'm someone who you know stands by my commitments and I deliver on my commitments, whatever they are. However, aligned or unaligned they might be. Now, I don't think we're saying that to ourselves. When we do that, yep. we just say, "I stand by my commitments," and that's where we stop. But what we're really doing is we're standing by commitments, you know, irrespective of whether that is still something aligned to us or not. Mm. And I think this idea of new data now what is something that I, I love it because it's an invitation. Yeah, uh, is this goal still aligned? Yep. You know, I always think back to my uh, my first coach. One of the things that he used to do periodically was ask me, is this goal still aligned? And sometimes it was really easy to ask it because if he saw that nothing was happening on it, he just asked, like, is this goal still aligned? Are you still interested? Is this still something you want? Mm -hmm. And for me, that was an invitation to say, no. Yeah. I don't. I thought I did when I wrote it, but I don't. Like I don't now new data has come up yeah. and I I'm not interested in this or, or it's not even aligned where it's not going to help me in any way or, or I just don't want it.
1: Oh, what you're saying just so resonates. And I think there's, you know, there's a difference between changing your goals, you know, adapting to new data, having that agility and being, you know, flaky. There's integrity to me. Integrity is like living in integrity for myself is like, knowing who I am, even if I say I'm going to do something, and you can take it to the smallest example, I'm going to meet someone for coffee at 12. Well, if I'm going to be late, I'm going to call them and I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to be 10 minutes late, there's still integrity there, even if I'm not there at 12. So when I think about can I have integrity as a person, And still constantly be changing what I'm up to? Absolutely. Because the biggest gap in integrity is when I'm on a path and I'm doing it because I'm hell bent because I said I would, but like, it's not, it's not who I am anymore. Right. And so being able to flex with that, I think is critical being, you know, people use the term fail fast. Nobody likes to think about, about failing. I personally don't like thinking about failing because I don't look back. I either, who said it? It was like, you either win or you learn, but you never fail. I'm so bad at remembering who says these great quotes, but like I know them, but I think that's the thing. And so being able to constantly adjust, I can give you a real time example right now. I left my job on June 14th. I went on a plane the next day. I don't know about you, but I do, well, not anymore. Cause now you're traveling with a baby, but I do my best thinking on a plane. And I wrote out like, okay, here's what the next 12 weeks are. Now, keep in mind, I said to myself, I'm going to use this time to really lean into the summer with my kids. And then I'm going to, you know, kind of get my work brain back in, uh, in gear in September. But what did I do? I'm the, you know, high achiever. I sat down, I listed like 97 things I'm going to do in the next 12 weeks. But what I did last week was when I pulled it out, instead of going, oh my God, I didn't do half of these things. What I did was say, what was I thinking? I wasn't honest about the game that I was playing on June 14th. I was I was living out of that program about what I should be doing and that sort of automatic behavior and like doing this like huge list. So what I did was I went through, crossed a bunch of them off, as you said, right? These things aren't relevant anymore. Some of them I carried over. Okay, here's sort of the next 12 weeks of what I want to do. And then also sort of checked off some of the things, you know, that I did do. But I'm not going to sit there and berate myself and say like, I didn't do that. Or, you know, that oh now I must do this, you know, at all costs. Like, oh, I don't even think I want to do that. That was like an idea or an inspiration. And I think the other thing, that, that I think is really important is that we're very careful about what we do put our, you know, what we what we speak about what we want. So I think this is a blessing and a curse of those of us sort of in the learning space and kind of with the growth mindset. We, I think, can often say, oh, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that, right? Like, put like all of this stuff out. And so it we set this huge set of expectations for ourselves, And then where do we have to go from there? Right. Then we're constantly measuring ourselves up against what we're not achieving. So I'm very conscious also about trying to, you know, what are the things I'm actually going to do? Right. I'm going into back to school season right now. Right. Every year I'm going to meal plan. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I haven't done it for 13 years with kids. Let me just get straight with myself. I'm not a meal planner. Right. So it's like just really being intentional about about what is true for me, and then what can I give my word to, and then being able to adapt as new situations and sort of new new data becomes available. But I think what you're talking about with, you know, being able to sort of fail and adjust is uh, is just absolutely essential to reinvention.
0: Yeah, and and I'm even wondering if failure is the right word to use there, yeah, because yeah. if maybe it's just to your point, it's just new data. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's new data. And that new data, I mean, you can call it failure if you want, mm-hmm. but why call but it is failure? It, yeah, right. Exactly. It, it's, yeah. New yeah. it's new data. It's new data, which to me is new learning. Yeah. New data is new learning. And that new learning now guides my next move. I mean, it, it, you know, I think about an athlete, right? That is, you know, let's use, use a basketball player for a moment, you know, just receive the ball. Maybe there's 10 seconds left in the game, you know, tries to go to the right. Obviously, someone's standing there. Do we call that a failure, a failure to move to the right? No, we're like, okay, time to pivot to the left. Okay, someone's on the left. All right, that didn't work out. Eight seconds left. I'm still looking. I still have time and I'm like looking for other options. But do we call all of those failures? Right. Yeah, I failed to go to the right. I failed to go to the left. I failed to whatever, step back, whatever it is. We, we say, no, I found someone, a teammate who was open because I had two people covering me. I was double teamed and I found someone open and they went and yeah. took the shot and it was really easy, uncontested and they scored it and we won the, we won the game. And so in that moment, like we're not talking about failure, but yet in our lives, if we say, if we committed to going right or tried to go right and it didn't work out, we call that a failure. If we try to go left and that didn't work out, we call that a failure. And now we're like, oh, failures are stacking up everywhere. I mean, that's just, why? Why even call it a failure? Look, I tried this, that didn't work. I tried that, that didn't work. I tried 10 more things, none of them worked. But the 11th or 12th one, oh, nailed it. Like it worked out, cool. I'd rather define it by that, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> by, by the by the ultimate event, eventual thing. But to you know, going back to this idea of goals being flexible, I think that you know I started to think of something that I, I've not really even thought about too much. So it's the first time it came to me. But this idea, like I'm, I wonder if I'm more worried maybe than this is the right way to do it. I'm more worried about what I actually do versus what I don't do. Meaning, mm. I'm worried about doing things that I, are not aligned. You know, like that because I simply said that I was going to do them because imagine if I spend the year pursuing out of, you know, let's say out of 10 goals, only three of them are really relevant, but I pursue all 10 equally and only three really mattered to me. Did those three get all of me? No, they got a significantly diluted version because I had to divert attention, resources, and time to the other seven. That even though they weren't aligned anymore with my life, I still pursued them because I said I was going to do that. I wanted to check all ten boxes by the end of the year. Was that a good year, really? You know, like is that successful? I don't know. Like I
1: well, and I and I think yeah, and you know, and I talk a lot about you know, um, you know, sort of the the challenges of sort of working parenthood and, and motherhood in particular because that's my path. And I think that's it, right? If you think about, okay, can I do my career? Can I have quality time with the kids? Can I be on the, you know, PTO? Can I be at the bake sales? That's just a hard no forever and all the always, just <laughs> in case you ever wanted to know, not the bake sale mom. But that's the thing, right? So we have all these expectations of things that we should do, yeah. right? And then, yeah, you end up watering yourself down. And so, you know, really, I think it's really important, especially you know, again, one of those things as, you know, as, as I've gotten older, realizing that time is it, it is all about the time. That's it. Nothing else, you know, uh, nothing else really matters. I'm squarely in the sandwich generation right now with the children and the, and the, um, and the parents and you know it's that time is the biggest is the biggest lever and so it's really forcing me to be intentional especially right now as i'm reinventing again about what is really the most important thing because i'm not going to say yes to everything because i know exactly who that's going to take away from and it's it's my kids so yeah let's not we'll we'll banish the word failure
0: yeah i I'm, I'm really because. starting to think about this more and I, and and i'm working on something that i want to write up about this because I'm realizing somebody had asked me this, on a podcast interview, actually, I was I was a guest for that one, and and I realized, you know, I think that a key here, right, and it was for something related to success or failure, is that any experiments, I'm because it, she asked me when an f- experiment fails, how do you handle that? And I go, I never really thought about this actively until you asked this, but mm-hmm. I don't I don't consider an experiment failed or successful. I consider an experiment. Mm-hmm something that I learned from. And maybe I learned a lot or a little from it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Like, that's how I look at experiments. So I don't feel bad after an experiment. No matter what happens, I don't feel bad about it. I'm just glad I did it. I'm glad that I ran that experiment and moved because in in my mind, I have moved a little bit uh, forward however much. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a step, maybe it's 10 steps. I don't know. But it doesn't matter as long as I move forward. I know more now than I knew before I ran that experiment. So that experiment was a matter of learning, not a matter of success or failure. You know, our conversation is making me think maybe this applies to a lot more. Maybe there's more things that are not a matter of success or failure, but a matter of new Mm -hmm. data, new learning, Mm -hmm. you know, new experience that I carry into the next Attempt the next endeavor, whatever that might be. And because goals are really flexible, thanks to new data, (laughs) every day there's new data, Mm -hmm. right? Every day we know something a little bit more than we knew the day before. So, for all we know, I I wonder maybe goals are just living, breathing things that have to be able to grow and evolve. And if, and that's where coaches come in, I think that's where my coach helped me a lot because the fact that he always asked me, how does that goal still feel? Is it still aligned? He wasn't saying we got to throw it out or keep it. You know, there was another option. We could also adjust it, you know, to make it fit if that's all it requires is an adjustment. All right. So I want to be mindful of the time here because I want to talk about this last topic because this is really important. This is something that You have a lot of experience with, and I feel like there's a lot you can share here that will help listeners. Even if they have gone to university, you know, you talked about how you didn't follow the traditional academic path. Even if you did go, there's something you probably didn't do that you're worried about. Maybe you didn't get that master's when everyone else that is doing the work you want to do got the master's. Maybe it's the PhD that everyone else has and you don't have. Talk to us a little bit about this idea. Yeah. Uh, you know how you have experienced, or just your overall experience um, and thoughts, uh, not having gone to university.
1: I didn't get a chance to say this to you, but after our our prep call, you you really you really honed in on this piece of it, and you you like quite emphatically said to me that you know how much this part of my story could probably really be game changing for other people, and I I really appreciate that because as I've shared with you. I would say it's sort of the, you know, for many, many years, it's sort of like the deep, dark secret. So as much as I say, oh, this chapter of, you know, starting a business at 19 was my real world MBA while I was getting that, what I wasn't getting was like an actual MBA. And so I've always, again, sort of one foot in front of the other. I never set out to say I'm never going to go to post-secondary education. That was never the plan. I just, you know, we decided in a drive on the mountains to open a business right there wasn't this like life plan you know and then i was lucky enough to get these great jobs and then get pulled over to this next job and this director job and whatever and so the story unfolds and next thing you know there was a pivotal moment it was before i got that director job where i looked around and i realized that the leader that i was working for was hiring everybody with phd's in industrial and organizational psychology amazing credential if you want to meet someone with that degree i'll introduce you to like 10 people they're amazing but they're not me. And I started to look around and instead of saying like, Oh, check me out. I've got the exact same job title as people who have that. I saw all I could focus on was the gap. I felt this. I had never lied. It wasn't on my resume. No one ever asked me, but I had this constant feeling of what's going to happen when they find out. And that drove everything for me. I mean, for years and you know, it's funny, I sort of made the joke that, you know, now it's it's quite, you know, on vogue for companies, everybody's getting rid of their college requirements off their job descriptions, you know, trying to win the war for talent. I'm like, maybe I was just super, You know, I was way before my time, right? I was cutting edge before. You were anyway. a pioneer. I was a pioneer. Yeah, for sure. What's funny now is, you know, it really took me probably until my mid 30s to be able, honestly, to be able to even speak about it. Because I just thought that right away it would be people would love me. They would say, oh, I want to hire you for this. And then they'd find that out. And then it would be like, oh, you know, the music stops. That's really how I felt. And now recognizing that that's as much a part of my story as any other part of it. Being open to hearing people who went down that traditional path and have never done anything, you know, with, with their degree. There's no right path it's whatever path you're on. And as you said, you know, your zigzag, uh, you know, sort of term that you're, that you're using, all of those things are going to open some doors. And while you're opening those, another one might be closing temporarily. Could I go back to school now? Absolutely. And I will say at every sort of transition point, I've often said, like, do I want to go do that now? I'm like, I don't, it's not the game I'm playing. I don't need it. And if, and if someone is coming to me for my skill set, and that's the game changer for them, then I would rather just go introduce them to someone else who has similar skills, who has a credential. If that, if the game they're playing is hire someone with a credential, then great. I'll help you find that. So I can now say with confidence that it's part of my story. I think for people who are struggling and trying to figure out that, you know, what do I want to be? What do I want to go and study? Especially with like the amount that, you know, colleges costs these days. It's insane. I would love if I could help to free, I guess free people up in that space to not have it be the stigma you know we talked about on our prep call you know sort of this you know some of the famous you know the i don't know that all the i don't know if it was zuckerberg whoever all the people all the, the the unicorn founder guys right who all like dropped out of college but even when you share that story what i had pointed out to you was even in the sharing of their dropout stories it's like oh dropped out of harvard dropped out of stanford like it's always against this backdrop of like they got yeah. in But then, like, oh, weren't they super edgy? And they dropped out. And then, you know, now they've gone on to, to do whatever. But it's always against that backdrop of this, like, prestige and, and, you know, status uh, sort of thing. You know, and also, you know, what I don't want to gloss over is certainly there are there are so many professions that require a credential. I'm a lifelong learner myself. I am constantly learning, uh, you know, in that space. And so, if that's your path, it's like great. Go after, you know, go after that. And also just recognizing. If you're in sort of the corporate environment, corporate America is run by people of mostly the mindset that is, that's the traditional path. So there's still like an, an acknowledging that the world we're in is still very, there, there's an opening now to look at non-traditional paths but uh, it is definitely not the norm yet from a leadership perspective, right? Most leaders are of that sort of, you know, you know, uh, you know, Gen X, you know, sort of, you know, maybe even some baby boomer uh, generation where that is the expectation and it can, it can be seen as a deficiency. So I would say it's a riskier path for sure. Again, in hindsight, you know, it it all makes sense. I met this this young man you know years ago and he asked for some career advice and and he was struggling because he out of college had done a bunch of individual sort of consulting six months here six months there and done all this project work and so his his skills and his knowledge were off the charts but his resume was a disaster and now he realized he wanted to sort of go in-house and get more of a you know air quotes stable job as stable as jobs are And so as we were talking through it and talking about like what he had to offer, again, what was really the most obvious is that he felt just so insecure about those choices he made, those zigs and those zags. They didn't line up to tell a good story. As I helped him to get in touch with all the skill sets he had, he was able to really see that now he has learned from, you know, six or seven different companies. He has insight that other people who would worked for one company for, you know, three or four years, they never would have gained that. And he had this moment on our call where he said, uh, his name was Saad, and he said, I don't know what I'm worried. He's like, I'm, I am Saad and Inc. And it was like this breakthrough moment where he like embodied himself as like a company because he saw all of a sudden he stepped into his power there. And it was just, it was, I mean, you're a coach, right? So, you know, when you're there for those aha moments, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing like yes. it. Yes. I ran into him. I want to say it was maybe nine, maybe nine, 12 months later. didn't know he was going to be at this sort of, uh, you know, sort of after hours event. He sees me from across the table. I got to talk to you after. So afterward, he pulls me aside. He's like, you're not going to believe this. I got this interview from a dream company that I wanted to go for. Went into the interview. He goes, you know what I said? I introduce myself as sod ink, he says, and he's like, everybody laughed and it, but it was like the context that he was able to tell his story. So, you know, whether it's, whether it's, it's going to college or not going to college, whether it's going to college and then consulting or freelancing or entrepreneurial or traveling the world, whatever, right. The story is yours. And I think that that's where if people could just be freed up a little bit to break out of this sort of traditional, mold, you're going to accumulate these experiences instead of life skills that are going to be unique to you that then you have to trust that you can, you know, package up and and apply to win whatever game it is that you're playing.
0: I love that. You know, when I think about The theory of jobs to be done, an idea that was posed by the late Mm. Professor uh, Clayton Christensen from Harvard University. And he talked essentially the theory of jobs to be done is that a customer has a job in mind that they want to do and when they buy a product, they're hiring the product to get the job done. So for instance, you know when somebody buys a drill what he is saying through this theory is that nobody wants the drill nobody wakes up and says "Ooh, i can't wait to get yeah. a drill although i'm sure there's some like people who love there their are. power tools and <laughs> like i want that
1: he's downstairs I
0: want, yeah, oh there he <laughs> is so okay so there are a few people <laughs> but for the most part most people don't want the drill they want the hole in the wall you know or even right. beyond that mm. they want the, mm-hmm. the the project the home project to be done yeah. that's what they really want at the end of the day And so the drill is a means to that end. It's simply Mm. a product that we hire to help us get that job done. And so I think about, I apply the theory of jobs to be done to goals and to our life goals. And I often challenge people, like when someone says, should I go get an MBA? I always Mm. ask them, what do you want to accomplish with the MBA? Mm -hmm. Because I don't know the answer to this. Like, you know, and I'm not gonna help you by telling you yes or no, you should go get an MBA. I just want to give you a little bit of clarity as to like what is inside of you and what you're really trying to get at. If you see the MBA, if what you really want is, I don't know, let's say a job at XYZ company. So now, if that's what you really want, tell me, how does the MBA help you get there? And what I'm trying to help them see is that the MBA, that university, whatever the degree is or the certification is, is simply a means to an end. It's one of many hows, one of many paths to the goal, to the result that you want yeah and it's not necessarily always the best result. It really depends. sometimes it is the best result, but it's not available to you because you couldn't get into that particular university. and with you know, when we look at the Ivy leagues and the elites and all that, obviously they brag about taking nobody like oh, we you know we recruit or, or we only accept you know point zero 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 three percent of the people <laughs> that apply, and we love that, and we can't wait to add another zero to that next year <laughs> and all of that. but in that case, right, that means that very few people are going to get that how, that path, that one way of getting to that thing or that way of getting to that. And so if that's not the way, then what else are you going to do? Do you back down on this goal? Is this no longer your goal because you couldn't get in there? Well, no, I still want to work. Okay, well, then let's find another way in. And what I'm trying to help them see is that the decision to go to a university or the decision to pursue some sort of education is usually except, you know, there might be somebody who has that goal. Somebody who just says, no, I want to check Harvard off the list because that is one of my goals. That's different. Then in that case, that's an easy one. The answer is yes. Yeah. Apply every single year until you get in, because that is your goal. You want to check that box. And that's cool. Mm-hmm. Cause again, it's not up to me to decide what your goals are. It's up to you. If that is the end, then that's what you need to do. But if the end is something else, I have to ask as a coach, what else can you do to get there? What else can you do? Is that the only way? Is it the most cost effective way? Because to your point, like you said earlier, cost of college and university is just insane right now. And I see it. I, I look at just even what my alma mater costs now for my younger cousins who've gone. And I'm just like, wow. You're literally getting the right. same education that I did, except the price tag is way different than what I had to pay. Yep. And we're not talking inflation here. We're talking like beyond inflation adjusted. And so that might be the issue right there for a particular person or it might not. Yep. I was, you know, yep. There was somebody I was coaching a while back and he said, no, 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 the money's not an issue. Okay. Well then that's cool. I, I'm glad it's not, but just make sure that you're not going there Because you think that's the only way to get it. The only path. Yeah. Yeah, And that's, and that for me opens up in my mind because I've had to pursue my own things without going the traditional path. It's what gives me permission and makes me feel empowered that, hey, I'm still getting to my goal. So, <laughs> yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know what I think too, you know, I've been in human resources for, you know, 20 years and I think the onus is really so I can I can speak about this from, you know, my own personal perspective but also from being on the inside at a company and I really think the onus has never been more on talent acquisition and on leadership to be able to and and it comes down to everything it's the questions in their applicant tracking system it's the way they're training their managers on their interview it's the way they're even creating job descriptions or not as the case may be a lot of the future of work is oriented more towards skills as opposed to a you know sort of list of, of, of job description and so i think the onus is on you know people running these corporations to be able to broaden the aperture a little bit and say we really want great people You know, a lot of companies, if you're a mission-driven company or you have a core set of values and you have a job that needs to be done, you know, someone who had this great set of life experiences, they may be your best fit. If you're weeding them out because your applicant tracking system has a drop-down, master's degree, bachelor's degree, other, do you know how many people you're missing? Like right there, right there, you're going to weed them out. So I think that, you know, it's both sides of things. We have to be willing to look at and dismantle some of those systems that are unfair. They have inherent bias built into them because, as we said, not everybody has the choice. I chose. It was a zag, right, to not go to college. I could have gone. You know, not everybody has the access to do that. And so there's just so much um, built into the systems right now that still keep the alternate path being alternate. I hope that, you know, by the time my kids get onto the work world, that it's no longer even an alternate path. It's just a path. It's everybody has their own, their own story. However, that works out, but there is certainly a lot of systemic change that needs to happen, especially within I'm, I'm you know, speaking from a, you know, sort of corporate perspective right now.
0: You know, I, this idea that you know, there's, there's just so many ways to get there and how hiring is changing and to learn how to consider the different experiences that someone brings to something as a way to assess whether they could be successful in this. When I was at IBM, there was a project that uh, a team was working on. I don't know if they ever finished it or they ever went through it, but the idea was to because IBM you know had as many as like 400,000 employees at one time and if you go back decades as they've been around that long, you have so mon- so many data points where you can look at people's entire careers and add up all of their experiences because they have data on that. And IBMers are people who often stay 10, 20, yeah. 30 years. so you have, you have decades of data on one person. And the whole point was to, you know, using AI, can we go through all of this data that exists and then distill it to figuring out how to help someone decide what a good next move might be or validate an idea for a next move based on their wacky, unique set of experiences. Enter every all the weird things you've done because this system is trained to say, hey, we've seen, you know, decades and hundreds of thousands of people's career paths to know that yes, that wacky mix you have there, here are five suggestions, actually, that would make sense for that wacky mix. And then imagine you see one of the ones you want, and you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) that was one of the ones I wanted. So it's validated that, yeah, this is not crazy. I'm not crazy to think that that would be a a good next step. It actually makes sense based on the data. I don't know if they ever finished that. Mm. The idea was to help people apply for jobs at IBM, because there were so many job postings. A lot of people just would apply to like dozens of uh, Mm. postings, you know, just to try to get in there. But then of course leads to a lot of wasted time on the, you know, receiving end. All the people have to sift through all of that. When in reality, you didn't really care for many of those jobs and many weren't even a good fit for you or weren't as good as a, another job could have been, but you didn't know either because you didn't even consider that. And so it was meant to help you search for jobs so that when you're looking at, you know, 20,000 job postings, you can like narrow it down to five really interesting roles, maybe two of which made sense, like your own rational brain would have concluded three that you're like, never would have thought about that. (laughs) But something really resonates with me. That's so weird. Why is that like so attractive to me right now? And it says that I would be a good candidate for
1: Well, I hope I hope they finish it. Because I think that I think it's really important work. And again, I'm very passionate. There was there was a study about, you know, women And men and how, you know, their uh, sort of propensity to uh, apply for a job. And I believe that men would apply for a job posting if they felt like they were, it was either 60 or 70% fit, but they would still apply. Women were 100% fit. Like we read it, say, nope, like I'm missing that one thing, cross it off the list. So again, we look at some of these systemic things and that bias that's built in there. So if you have something like that, again, it goes back to the beginning of our conversation. What do other people see in us potentially right and trying to so in this case that was informed by data which is amazing what are you hearing from other people around you that you might not even be in touch with and then you know own it embody it throw it on your resume i get so many comments because i have mother on my linkedin profile and i get so many people that reach out about it i'm like why would i not put that on my linkedin profile you know if you know me that informs everything that i do in in my life and in my in my career so you know, but again, that comes back to that having that confidence to say, This is my story. I may not be the right fit for you and that's okay, but it's mine. And trust mm-hmm. that you will find the right fit if it's in the context of a job or a career or whatever, you will find the right fit when you're being your, you know, your authentic self and not trying to mold yourself into someone else's version of of you know who you should be.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think this brings us to a nice conclusion. I, I'm so glad we riffed on this last topic because I think it's a big one when it comes to finding jobs and, and barriers that we put in the way. And great point about, because I've read this research as well about men versus women. Men only need, I'm not even sure it's 60 to 70%. Yeah, maybe I think it was it's lower. Even, <laughs> I think it's even lower than that from if I remember correctly. But bottom line is the difference is so different. It's so different between men and women. And this technology, this something like this would be super empowering, Mm -hmm. you know, and really help start making real change. But Jen, thank you so much for your time. I I love that. You know what? I think we we definitely have to have some sort of follow up another episode in season two, because I also want to talk a little bit more about motherhood, because that Mm -hmm. is on your LinkedIn profile, like you mentioned. And I feel like we need to also talk a little bit more about that you know, especially now as I'm a new parent.
1: I'm in. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and, you know, I will say that again, like common thread, you know, sort of teaser to that. I've homeschooled. I did home births. I've taken a lot of alternative paths, if you will, even in parenting, co-sleeping. I know shocking. So there was all these things that, you know, again, choices that I made a hundred percent new data. Like I'd see a documentary. Oh, wait, there's something there. And it like absolutely informed the way that I'm raising human beings, which is like a lot of, you know, higher stakes. But again, the through line there is being able to, you know, adapt and constantly learn and then, you know, make the next best decision that's in front of you. So um, they're turning out okay so far. They're still pretty young, but I would love to have that conversation with you. So thank you. This has been super fun. We touched on a lot of you know, I think really important topics. And I just hope that, um, I think it's through hearing other people's stories that I find some sort of freedom and opening for myself. So hopefully this conversation has maybe opened that up. For some
0: it, it absolutely has. I have no doubt. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Reinvention podcast. Again, I'm your host, Roger Osorio. If you're ready to start your journey to reinvention and want to walk the path with others, visit www.rogerosorio.com and go to the School of Reinvention to check out for yourself how a community-based coaching platform can help you begin your next reinvention. You can also go to rogerosorio.com to purchase my new book, The Journey to Reinvention, and receive some exciting bonuses. Until next time, make your day great.